you can uh, open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23 today. Let's see if I can make this taller. You'll notice um, verse 16 starts off with the word, uh, therefore, which uh, when we see that in scripture, it reminds us that we need to, uh, we need to look back at, at what has come before um, this word, therefore. So um, if you were not with us last week, or if you just don't remember uh, where we were last week, I want to throw up this slide that we showed you last week from our passage. Um, and what, what jumps out is, is that we are in him. We are in Christ um, if you have received Christ, is how he starts off verse 6, then you, uh, you are to walk in him. And this jumps off uh, the page at us. You're in Christ, and Paul describes Christ, he says, whom the fullness of God dwells bodily. Right? And then in verse 10, he tells us that we believers are filled up with, with him. Uh, he wants us to be anchored in Christ, to be rooted in in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. It is, it is with Christ. Um, this is who you are, more, more, than, more than maybe some of the other ways that we identify ourselves, right? Maybe you identify yourself by the, the work that you've done for 20 years, or that you're a mom, or a dad, or, um, or maybe there's this hobby that you're super into, you, into and you, you, you identify as that, or it can be a presidential candidate that, that your identity is, I'm a supporter of, of this person or that person, or whatever passion it is, but Paul tells us that our identity is in Christ, and this ought to change everything for us. One thing that it gives us is uh, a ton of confidence. Not in our strengths, not in our resume, not in our, our pedigree, our knowledge, our record. Our confidence is in Christ and the work that he has done and what he will do. Um, verse 15 from last week, right? And he, he triumphed over the enemies. It's this lopsided victory. He defeated sin and death on the cross. He, he forgave you. If you're in Christ, he forgave you. He set aside the record of your trespasses, nailing it to the cross. And this gives us tons, tons of confidence. Um, uh, Christ has handily defeated sin and death on the cross. And all who have received him as Lord are in him. So our confidence is founded in him and in him alone. We're confident that he is the Lord, that he is the King of kings. We're confident that our hope it has been secured by Christ. We're confident, that, we're confident that he will strengthen us, that he will sustain us by his power so that we can walk in him. Our identity being in Christ, again, impacts, it should impact every part of life. It should permeate every part of life. So maybe, uh, maybe you're like me and you've struggled with pleasing people. Um, Jesus is the one that we live to please Christians. In verse uh, 10 of chapter 1, he, he says that he wants us to walk in a manner worthy of him, fully pleasing to him. So our aim is not to please people. Right? We don't have to worry about that. We, our aim is to please the Lord. Uh, I've mentioned before in a sermon, uh, a pastor up north in Bellevue, he was talking to 
a, a group of Christian artists, and he was telling them that they should be the biggest risk takers in, in all of the, the art world um, because it's not, it's not the critics' approval that they live for. It's not their peers' approval. It's not even their mom or their dad's approval that they live for. They live for Christ's approval. If people don't like their stuff, it doesn't matter because they're a child of the king. And I'm not an artist in any way, but I can imagine that if I did create something, a painting, a song, a poem, whatever, um, that it would be really hard to put it out there for others to, to look at, and, and, and they're going to judge it, right? I'm sure that there are many, many closet artists out there who have maybe they've started their their project maybe they've completed it or maybe they're too afraid to even start it because because other people and their opinions weigh so heavily on them but we Christians we're secure in God not just in the world of art but but our security is in Christ our identity is in him we get distracted though don't we we easily get distracted, and there's a reason that Paul has to encourage these believers that if they've received him, that what they should do now is walk in him. So like the Colossian church, we can be tempted from um, outside influences, right? Uh, in influences not from the church as to how we are uh, to live. And, and pretty soon that can distract us, that can distract our, our aim of being in Christ, of living in him. But even within the church, Right? The church can distract us. We, we can get sidelines. Church, church are, churches are good at making rules about how we're supposed to do this thing, right? how we're supposed to follow Jesus. And, and we come up with these rules and these forms, and before we know it, we're not as focused on Jesus as we once were. But we don't need outside influences. We don't need even uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ to be a distraction to us. We're good at sabotaging our own relationship with Jesus. We're really good at making our walk with Christ really being more about us than about Jesus himself. Here's our truth statement uh, for today. Don't submit to Christless religious practices, since by these we won't grow. For we have died with Christ to world religious, worldly religious practices that appear wise but are worthless for stopping fleshly indulgence. Instead, hold on to Christ. Right? Don't, don't be distracted, whether it's man-made stuff, religious stuff. Don't be distracted, but instead hold fast to Christ. Verse 16, let's jump into our text. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So we, we don't know exactly what's going on here, what, what, um, what was being put on these Colossians telling them that they should do this or that, but he gives us some hints here. In, in uh, food and drink, dietary laws, festivals, new moon or Sabbath, these are, it seems like these have to be connected probably to Judaism, right? To Jewish religious practices. And these practices were given to the Jewish people. 
right, as part of their following God. These were good things that were to point them to God, to point them to Christ. These festivals that they were told to observe, not only did they remember what God had done, but they pointed to what God would do in the hope that they have in God. But Paul says, don't let anyone pass judgment on you. Right? Don't, don't let them pass judgment on you. Don't let them heap guilt on you. Don't let them add to your walking in Jesus. That every, every law, every festival, the offerings, they were all pointing to Christ. He calls them shadows. That they, these were these shadows that pointed to the reality, or uh, the ESV says the substance, which is Jesus. We know that, that a shadow is... It, it, it's pointing to something that's really there. Um, Hebrews 8 uh, and 10, um, the author uh, writes about uh, the temple and the sacrifices as, as shadows, but that what they pointed to, what was really good, was Jesus. So even if a shadow is impressive, there's really nothing to that shadow, but the shadow represents, it points to a much greater reality. Uh, this summer, I was in Coeur d'Alene, or staying just outside of Coeur d'Alene with uh, Lindsay's whole family, like nine cousins, right? And then aunts and uncles, everybody, a lot of people. So we needed food. So where do you go? You go to Costco, okay? So we go to Costco, walking in, um, and, and I, see, I see my shadow, and I don't think anything of it, but then I see a shadow next to my shadow, and this shadow is unbelievably huge. And I'm looking at my shadow, and I'm thinking, what is going on? And I try to, on the sly, turn around without staring, and I see the tallest human being I've ever seen in my life. I'm not exaggerating. It was unbelievable. I wanted to take a picture. I knew I shouldn't do that, though. So instead, I texted Matt and told him, I'm pretty sure this guy is like 7'6". Somehow that helped me internally. Um, so I didn't follow him around like I wanted. I, I was totally cool on the outside. And, but I kept seeing this guy. And I'm telling you, it was amazing to see a human being that tall. There was um, a, a rack of tortillas. And he was looking down on the top shelf, a shelf that I would have to like scurry up to, to see. Um, the shadow of this man is what tipped me off. Right? And the shadow was impressive, but it was this, this person, this seven foot six man, it was incredible to see him. So in the Colossian church, there was, there was some questioning going on, some judging, maybe belittling going on, um, telling them, no, you need to do this, you need to, you need to participate in this, you need to follow this, you need to eat this way. Um, but all those things were pointing to Christ. The dietary laws were to make someone clean for worshiping the Lord. Right, in the temple, in the tabernacle. But this pointed to a time when believers would be made clean in Christ so that we could worship God in Christ. Jesus is the substance, Paul says. Or the NIV uh, says Jesus is the reality. So these, these, these laws, these festivals, these, uh, these, ways that, these things that they would observe were good in the purpose of pointing Christ. But now they have Christ. Right? Now, that, this was the reality that was pointing towards now be in Christ. Um, movie trailers have really changed in my lifetime. Like when I was a kid, there wasn't a date where we knew a movie trailer was going to be released. But now it's like that information gets leaked out. And, and fans of a certain movie, um, they get excited, and they can't wait. I happened to be with uh, a group of people. We were at a, uh, getting ready for a summer camp for middle schoolers years ago. It was, um, it was the, it was the, um, 
it was the beginning of like this new season of Star Wars movies, not the ones with Jar Jar Binks, the actual good ones that have come since then. Um, and, and one of them goes, oh my goodness, the new Star Wars trailer is getting released today. And I had no idea. And so all of us crowd around this guy's phone and we're watching this trailer. And they watched it over and over and over again. And once was good with me. It was impressive. But you watch a trailer, and that might get you pretty excited about a certain movie. But once the movie comes out, I never go back to watch a trailer again, right? It was all pointing to this, this movie. Why would we want to go back to anything that's just pointing to Christ? When Christ, Christ is what we want. When we've received Christ as Lord, we shouldn't get sucked into anything outside of Christ. Right? Don't let someone guilt you or trick you or condemn you. Don't be drawn to anyone or anything but Christ. Last week, we talked about being captivated by Jesus and Jesus alone, and he is the reality in which you now live. Paul talks about judgment, and if you've been a part of a church for some time, you know that churches are places where um, it's easy for, for judgment, and even an atmosphere of judgment, um, to come about. And... Um, I want to say two things before I even get to this. So uh, sometimes people, people play the don't judge me card, right? And, and it's, it's a smoke screen. It's a smoke screen. Uh, they, they don't want anyone to really help hold them accountable to anything. They don't want anyone to have a voice in their life and tell them that, hey, maybe the thing you're doing isn't right. Because um, there is uh, an accountability, I'll say, that is good and necessary within the body. Um, within the last like three weeks, I can think of four conversations off the top of my head where people came to me with something about me and, and, and we talked and, and um, it was, they, they, were, they were questioning, they were confronting and it was good. It was good for me. I had brothers and sisters in Christ that were looking out for me. They were wondering what this thing in my life meant. They were wondering if they saw this the way it looked or, or not. Um, so there's, there's a part of the Christian life where we do need people that have eyes on us to help us grow, to help us, um, to help us follow after Jesus, right? So these aren't like drive-bys, right? Just shooting at somebody. The, the, this is lovingly walking through life with someone. Um, this is iron sharpening iron, right? So, so there's good um, judging within the church, but then we also know that, that there's, there could be an atmosphere of judgment within churches, uh, and, and maybe you'd call this legalism even. Um, so like the people question me, helping confront me, uh, they were doing this in, with an attitude of building me up, right? Not, not tearing me down, but, but wanting me to grow in Christ. Um, legalism, uh, 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 judgmental atmosphere is what I'll call it. So often, that's just divisive. That's, that's tearing down rather than bringing unity within the body. I think a judgmental church... Um, it discourages the confession of sin. And we're told in multiple places in Scripture, like, now that's actually a regular part of following Jesus is recognizing our sin and confessing that to the Lord and to other believers. And I think a judgmental body um, really makes it hard as we're trying to keep up. We feel like we've got to keep up a facade of following Jesus. Legalism, so often, it, 
maybe always actually, has more to do with, with us and, and bolstering how, how we look or how we feel about ourselves, how much power we have in, in making ourselves holy, which is, which is a farce. Um, it, it's about what we're willing to sacrifice because we're a committed Christian. Um, so I wonder, where have you developed pride in how you follow Jesus? Are there... Are there ways that you find yourself looking down on other Christians, other brothers and sisters in Christ? And sometimes I think we're able to rationalize this for, for, for a period of time. So I'd ask, is your attitude edifying, uh, edifying the body of Christ? Or are there sisters and brothers that are built up by, by your judging of them? Uh, or are you cutting them to shreds in your heart by your pride? Some of us... Uh, just naturally love rules. I don't know if anyone's a rule follower. I'm a rule follower. It's ridiculous. Uh, I, I, like, uh, I like rules. Um, uh, rules, checklists maybe. Some of you, I'm not a checklist person, but some of you love just scratching off an item in a checklist. That's like the most satisfying thing to you. Rules, checklists, they can both be helpful tools, but the problem is when we uh, depend on, on those rather than Christ in our following Jesus. We, we, might, um, we might begin to see the checklist really as the affirmation of who we are rather than, than Jesus being the one we find our identity in. Checklists and rule following uh, can just lead to us being puffed up, to being prideful about how spiritual we are, and it, it can happen so, so quickly. So if you have spiritual checklists or rules, are they helping you live in Jesus, right? Are they helping you to walk in him, to remain in him, or are they harmful because they've actually taken the place of Jesus? I'm not saying that all rules and spiritual checklists are bad, but I'm saying that they're to help you walk in Christ. Um, so one good spiritual checklist item or rule for yourself is you should go to church regularly. And I know you're all here, so it's like, Greg, tell the other people, but um, you should go to church regularly, right? We need to be committed to consistently participating in the body of Christ. Not only are we told to do that in scripture, but it is good for us to be a part of the corporate gathering as we come and we worship the Lord together, as we hear God's word together. God shapes our hearts, not just individually, but corporately. He unifies the body in order to bring glory to him. So that is a good rule for you to stick to. But you also know that having really good attendance or perfect attendance, if that was possible at church, doesn't make you mature in Christ. It doesn't make you holy. It doesn't make you more acceptable to God. I said last week, Christians are great. We're all great at putting it on cruise control, at going through the motion. So you show up to church because you know you're supposed to. Like maybe mom or dad just pounded that into you when you were a kid. Or, or maybe you go because you're afraid someone's going to judge you and, and say, why weren't you at church? Um, Hebrews, the author tells us, don't give up in gathering together. Don't give up in this meeting uh, of, of the body that happens as some are in the habit of doing. So why do you come here? Why do you come? Is it to grow in Christ? Is it, is it because you're, you're a member of the body and you're to contribute to the life 
of, of your brothers and sisters in following Christ? Is it to encourage other Christians? Is it to hear from the word with your brothers and sisters and grow? We can go on and on, but you know that even coming to church, we can just go through the motions. Now, the solution isn't just stop coming, right? The, the solution is, okay, let's bring this before the Lord. Let's confess this to a brother or sister in Christ. Let's ask, let's ask Christ to change our heart by the, by the Holy Spirit, to make Christ what you long for and what you treasure um, as you participate in the body of Christ. And, and you, could put, you could put any number of things in, in that example, right? It could be how many, how many chapters of the Bible you read a day or, or the Bible plan that you're, you're sticking to or, or, or whatever. But what, what's the point? Well, the, the point is to grow in knowing Christ. Spiritual disciplines are great. They're important but they can subtly become less and less about knowing Jesus and being captivated by Christ and more and more about us and what we do. So do you take time to evaluate your heart before the Lord? Uh, one way in my own Bible reading that I know I'm off is if I catch myself jumping right into Scripture and not actually praying. Like that tells me, and I'm not saying always this is the case, but for the most part, it tells me that I'm really trying to do this on my own and that I think I know what I need from the Lord today rather than ask the Lord to open up my heart and my mind and, and change me. Um, I, I love what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Spiritual discipline, spiritual habits can be great, but they are to be a means to seeing and knowing Christ and loving him. Verses 18 and 19. Let no one disqualify you. So this is the second warning in, in today's passage. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, which I always forget what that word means. It means like severe self-discipline that's trying to avoid like any form of indulgence. So let no one disqualify you, uh, insisting on asceticism, worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reasons by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that's from God. So verses 16's issues, it seems like that was coming from either uh, uh, Christians who are, or Jews who are now Christians or, or Jews on the outside. Verse 18, it looks like these are more pagan practices. So, so there's like this infusion of, of um, some Jewish practices, pagan practices, all into the Colossian church's Christianity. And, and Paul, he warns them against these man-made religious practices. He says, don't let anyone disqualify you. This word disqualify you means to act as a judge who decides or, or rules and, and awards, um, awards a prize in a contest. Um, so there's these self-appointed referees that are ruling against the Colossian believers and robbing them of, of their deserved reward. They insisted that they need to, they need to worship angels, that, that that needed to be a part of their Christianity. Um, or they, they, they were missing out because they weren't experiencing visions. Or they needed to be more strict in their self-discipline. And Paul says the result is a, a puffed-up mind. It's pride. Um, I remember as a young believer, I met some uh, Christians. Uh, I really liked these, these guys uh, and girls. Um, really, really, they were just neat, neat people. And, and from what I could tell, I, I 
convinced they loved Jesus, no doubt about that in my mind. Um, but after hanging out uh, a few weeks, one of them asked me, so uh, have you been baptized in the Spirit? And in my little Baptist church, I've never heard that before. I'm like, what's, what's baptized in the Spirit? And, and they go on and on to tell me, and, and it really, for them, um, in, in their definition of it, it had to do with like sign gifts, like speaking in tongues and dreams and visions. I'm like, well, I have dreams, but none of them are from God. Um, I have crazy dreams. Uh, those didn't count for them. Um, and, and, and what happened was there was, this, there was this air of something was missing in my Christianity as I talked with these people. And, 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 and it, it kind of started to look down on me. And it messed with me for a, a while. Um, and and I, talked, I talked with my mentor and some people and spent a lot of time praying. And, and the more I hung out with them, the more I realized how much pride they had in in their uh, spiritual experiences. And there was even a moment where I saw them, like, they were sneaky about it, but they were trying to one-up each other in, like, the things that they had experienced in, in God, these kind of miraculous-type things. Um, and, and eventually it was pretty easy to see the pride there. And I, I asked them, even like, man, are you more into your spiritual experiences than you are into Jesus? Like, are you... Are you following hard after these things, or are you following hard after Christ? So whatever's going on with the Colossian church here, they're told, no, you need, you need these things. And Paul instructs them in 19. He says, hold fast to Christ. You need to hold fast to Christ. Don't hold on to these man-made religious practices or these ideas, these teachings. Um, you need to hold fast to Christ. And he compares Christ to the head of a body, right? The body absolutely needs the head to live, right? It is, as amazingly um, designed the rest of our body is, it doesn't work without the head. The head makes everything work, right? The heart is critical, but even the head makes the heart do its job right. Paul says, you won't grow without the head. You will not grow without Christ. And here's the Colossians, and this sounds really silly, but they're trying to grow in Jesus without Jesus. And as um, ridiculous as that sounds, maybe you've seen that in your own life, right? That somehow you get distracted from actually trying to grow in Jesus and the things you're doing are supposedly about Jesus, but really Jesus is not a part of those things anymore. Paul says it's like a, it's like a body that's decapitated, when we do that, we need to hold on to Christ for dear life. There's, there's nothing worth lose, loosening our grip on Christ. No spiritual experience, no outside teaching, no whatever, no worship of spiritual beings, no, no visions of, of heaven or whatever. It's Christ and Christ alone. If you've ever been whitewater rafting and you hire a guide, they probably had this piece of safety equipment. I don't know if you noticed it or not, but it, it was a little bag, and out of the top of the bag comes a rope, and it's got a loop on it, and it's called either a throw bag or a throw rope. And the, the whole uh, the purpose of this is if somebody gets out of the raft, um, you know, they, they fly out at, at some uh, rapid or something like that, or maybe they go swimming and they just want to get back and they can't swim back, um, someone takes one end, they hold the rope, and then they, they dip the bag, which has, it's full of rope, they dip it in the water and throw it to that person, okay? And that person catches the rope, and then they lay on their back, and they get pulled in, 
right? They get pulled into the rope. Now, um, a lot of times when you're rafting, it, well, anytime when you fall out uh, of a raft, especially in a rapid, it is so disorienting. It, it, you can't tell which way is up and which way is down until finally you pop up out of that water. It's a freaky experience. Um, so you might be tempted as, as a rope's thrown at you. You could see something like a rock in the river. And, and you can tell, man, this river's strong, but it's not moving that rock. That's where I'm going. And you could swim over and try and cling to that rock and hold on for dear life. Or maybe someone in your raft has a life jacket, and they throw that to you. You already have a life jacket on, but you think if some is good, more is better. So you double life jacket it, right? The problem is you're still not in the raft. You're still in this rapid fighting this river. Any number of things could come by, but the rope is what you need if you want back in that raft. So you could be tempted by these other things, the rock or the life jacket, but you cling to that rope and it gets you back to the raft. You hold on to Christ, right? This seems like it should be straight Forward. If our life is in Christ, what we need is to hold on to him, to hold fast in Christ. Verse 20, he asks a rhetorical question. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do you live life as if your life is still in the world? Or is your life in Christ? Do you still give power to the world that you used to live for before Jesus? Next week's passage talks about putting sin to death. Are you still keeping some sin on life support that you're just not ready to let go of? Last week's passage also talked about uh, spiritual uh, powers in the world. Um, There is a spiritual battle going on. Scripture's really, really clear about that. Much of the time, I think at least in America, we are oblivious to it, but that doesn't mean it isn't real. Um, There are demonic forces at work, and like I said last week, we don't blame everything on them, but we also don't want to be naive and think that there's there's no, no demonic activity in our world. They are alive and well, and they don't have power over those who are in Christ. Um, However, habitual sins, addictions seem to uh, expose us or open us up to unnecessary influence um, uh, of demonic powers in our life. I think James 4, 7, 8 is really, really helpful here. It says, submit yourselves therefore to God, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. When we run to sin, we give evil an opportunity. That's sin that we've died to, but when we run to it, we give evil this opportunity. However, James tells us, when you resist, the devil flees. So Paul, he's pointing them, he's saying, you're alive in Christ. Don't live like you're alive to the powers of this world. Verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they're used. According to human precepts and teachings, they have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence 
of the flesh. So man-made rules, man-made religions, all of them will perish. What Jesus gives to believers is eternal. Jesus is the one that delivers from darkness. So Paul, he warns them. He says, hey, there are going to be things that catch your eye. They're going to look like they're full of wisdom. They're going to look like they're, they're really, really good, but ultimately they're empty. They won't help you battle the flesh. So maybe today, maybe this is mindfulness or, or maybe it's it's a, a life that's built around like you how you how you exercise and, and your your diet what you take in uh, or or books that that just seem to take over culture like uh, the life-changing magic of tidying up Right? Or, or maybe, maybe there's an ancient practice that has come back uh, in, in, into fashion that, that people are swearing this will change your life. Either way, these man-made practices will perish, and they're of no value. And, and they result in either pride, because we think that we, we puff ourselves up, and we think that we are doing something to contribute to, to who we are in Jesus, but it's Jesus that we find our identity in. It is in him and him alone. He's the one that justifies us. So it it results in either pride or despair because we realize we can't do these things that we thought we were supposed to do and both just end up being traps that keep you from Christ. The Colossians weren't the first and they will not be the last to bring other things in to following Jesus, to being distracted. But the goal, if the goal is Christ, then Christ is the one we cling to because we're not alive in the world. We are alive in him. So holding fast to Christ, this means that we depend on Christ, right? Christianity isn't about mustering up what we can do. It's about depending on God, on his power to follow him. Uh, Christianity isn't a religion of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. We need to walk in dependence on Jesus. Is our gaze fixed on Jesus? Is our heart captured by him? Do we continue to make him the one that we treasure? As you pray, do you hold fast to Christ? Are your prayers actually dependent on God? Or maybe you're like me and sometimes I realize I've just been praying these pedestrian, ordinary prayers that really I have a lot of power in influencing the thing I'm asking God to do. Or do I actually pray things that only God can do? Do we hold fast to Christ by trusting and resting in him. I'm no farmer. Uh, I know that farmers work really hard. I know that they work the soil, that they plant the seed at at the time of year that you're supposed to, that they water it, they provide nutrients, but I also know that farmers go to bed at night. Uh, I know that farmers realize that they've done their part, but really there's a work that happens underground. There are a lot of farmers that know that that's God. God makes all of that growth happen. Do we trust and rest in Jesus? Do we hold fast to Christ through his word? We run to the written word so that we can hold fast to the word made flesh. Not putting our hope in a podcast to give us life. Not, not banking on a conference or a camp or a book or a blog or a speaker to give us life. All those things can be fine if they're helping us in, in, in holding fast to Christ if they help us increase our connection with Christ, but none of those are a replacement for Christ. None of those are a replacement for the Word. The Word points us to Christ. It reminds us of who He is. It instructs us on living in Him. It's not difficult to find Christians today that profess uh, that they love Jesus, and yet they're, 
they aren't that into the Bible. And who knows why? Maybe, maybe they had some experience uh, at a church. Maybe they have a distaste for organized religion. Maybe, they, maybe they've seen a lot of Christians that say they love the Bible but don't love people well. I don't know. But there are a lot of people today that say they love Jesus and yet are not into the word at all. Uh, Beth Moore, a couple of years ago, speaking to 55,000 college students, I think she nailed this. She said, you will watch, right? So these are like 18 to 25-year-olds. You will watch a generation of Christians set the Bible aside in an attempt to become like Jesus, and stunningly, it will sound completely plausible. This will perhaps become the cleverest of all the devil's schemes in your generation. Do not fall for the lie that we don't need scripture, that it's not that important. It's absolutely critical. A few months ago, I gave out some copies of the book, um, The Insanity of God. Um, uh, it's written by a guy named Nick Ripkin. He's interviewed over 600 Christians in persecution, I think in like 70-some countries. And the book's full of amazing stories, truly amazing stories of, uh, of God's faithfulness to the persecuted church. But my big takeaway from the book was that no matter what country these believers were in, no, no matter what, what the culture was, what, what the persecution was, they all knew that they needed the Bible. And I mean like all the time. They needed God's word. The Bible was, was how they knew Jesus. It, it was how they knew that they could trust in him. It's how they, they, they knew of the hope that they had no matter what happened to them. And did they have experience that, that backed up the word? Totally. But, but all those experiences, all those ways that they saw uh, God come through, that was not what they placed up here. It was God's word that, that, they, that they held on to as they held on to Christ or in order to hold on to Christ. We must hold on to Christ. Um, a couple of years ago, I don't know if you saw this video, but Alex is going to cue it up. Uh, Chris Gursky, uh, he uh, was starting his trip in Switzerland, and on the very first day of vacation, he thought, hey, why not jump on a hang glider, right? So he hired a professional pilot um, and got all rigged up, and I think we'll, we'll show you here. You can see he's got like safety harness on, everything's on there. They're getting ready to jump off this hill. There's no sound in this video, um, but they jump off the hill. You can roll it, Alex. They start running, and they take off, and it immediately becomes apparent that he's not strapped in. Uh, at all. Houston, we have a problem. This guy's pretty funny. Um, he's not strapped in, so he's holding on with his left hand onto that front bar, and then you can see he's holding on to the pilot with his other hand. The pilot is trying to pilot one-handed, and now he's grabbing Chris. There's no confusion right now what Chris needs to do. He needs to hold on, right? We'll fast forward to the end. He doesn't land here. It's crazy. He's going to go all the way down there. So we fast forward. Oh, yep. We fast forward to the end. Yes. So Chris just before the end here, just before the landing drops. He was up in the air two minutes and 14 seconds, holding on for dear life. He ends up breaking a couple bones, um, gets a, uh, has a surgery. He tore, um, I believe, a tendon in his, in his left bicep that was holding on to that. Chris knew what he needed to do. He knew that he needed to hold on. There was no other thing that even tempted him right? He, all he had to do was hold on. We need to hold on to Christ, right? Not, not what we can do, not man-made rules or practices, not, not, not experiences. It's only holding on to Christ, our connection, right? Our connection with Christ is absolutely vital. It's the only way 
we grow in him. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we do thank you that, that for those who have received you, you've made us alive in you. And, and Lord, I thank you uh, for the clarity of Paul here that we need to hold on to you. We need to remain in you. We need to live in you. That our life, that everything we have is found in you. Not the sin that we used to live for. Not, um, not ideas that point away from you. Or even ideas that, that look like maybe they're edging towards you. But Christ, we need you. So I pray for my brothers and sisters that we would remain in you. That we would hold fast to you. God, I, I pray that your word would matter to us. God, that, that we would know that in here we have everything that we need, that, that you've revealed yourself to us, that your Holy Spirit teaches us through your word. Lord, uh, would you help us? Would you help us to hold fast to you and to not get distracted, to not, to not make things about uh, ourselves or about rules or, or anything else, Lord, but that we would hold fast to you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.